Um, good to have you guys with us this morning. Um, of course, this is the uh, discipling, uh, equipping class for the summer, the next six weeks. For those who don't know me, I do see some, some faces I'm familiar with, but some that I don't think we've met. My name is Evan Smith. Um, it's my wife, Leah, here sitting in the front. Um, we have been attending UBC since... Christmas of Christmas time of 2019 and joined, became members uh, right around the time everything shut down in 2020. So uh, it's been an interesting uh, couple of years, interesting time to join a church, move to a new place and join a new church. But uh, thankfully God was very kind to us and several members, uh, or some, a few members in particular that really during that time, reached out to us, drew us in, and brought us into their group of friends, and so really like helped us get plugged in, even in a time when it was really, for a lot of people, very hard to get plugged in. So we've really um, enjoyed being a part of UBC and getting to know uh, the ones that we have gotten to know and look forward to getting to know uh, some, some more of you serving together and growing together here. Um, we have three kids. That I guess just introduced myself a little bit. We have three kids from 14 to 8, um, two girls and a boy, um, Kendall, Arden, and Barrett. Um, so that's kind of where our stage of life is, uh, middle, entering the teenage, kind of middle school, junior high stage of life with our oldest, and then um, just have kids that, that were thankful that they're finally, it seems like we're at this stage where they're finally old enough to kind of be a little more um, fend for themselves a little bit. We can leave them at home and go do stuff by ourselves. That's really nice. So we, we enjoy that. I work for a title company um, here in, in Northwest Arkansas is what I do uh, during the week. And then Leah homeschools our kids during the week. So that's, a, I guess, give you a little bit of rundown of, of who we are. Um, Ryan Boudreau, who has stepped out, will also be co-teaching this class. Um, over the next six weeks, he is actually um, leading music this morning at First Baptist Church in Elkins. Uh, so that's why he was here for a few minutes, but he had, to, he had to get over to Elkins to help them with their service. So that's where he's at. Um, the way our schedules work out, I'm going to be... Uh, doing the teaching this morning and next week, and then Ryan will be teaching week three, uh, and it's on the back of your, uh, I don't have to do that whole rundown, it's on the back of your handout. If you, if you didn't get one of the handouts, they're on the little table by the back door. If you want that, um, it's got an outline uh, and some fill in the blanks of what we're going to be going through this morning. So um, I guess with that little bit of introduction, why don't we pray and ask Ask the Lord to bless our time this morning, to use this time, and then we'll, we'll jump into this. So. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your goodness to us, for loving us, Lord, for taking care of us, uh, for extending grace and mercy to us through Jesus, um, or for reconciling us to yourself and uh, Lord changing us growing us to be more like Jesus Lord we pray 
this morning that you would use this time to that end, Lord, that we would um, see you, that we would see Jesus, Lord, and that you would use our time together, our conversation, our time in the Word, um, Lord, to help us grow, to be more like Jesus, to help us grow, to be the disciples that you uh, have called us to be, Lord, and to help us understand what you want from us when it comes to making disciples. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's a question for you. Um, if you like put together patterns, maybe some of you can, can figure this, this out, but three people, Greek philosopher Socrates, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, CEO Warren Buffett, former University of Kentucky football coach, how mummy, what do all three of these people, men, have in common besides the fact that they're men? Any guesses? <laughs> See a lot of puzzled looks, so I'll just go ahead and tell you. They all three have disciples, believe it or not. So... Um, in a 2015 article I found on thestreet.com, the, the author of the article uh, had this quote, said, The investment world is full of Buffett disciples, and there is no lack of traders who aspire to follow in the Oracle of Omaha's footsteps. So Warren Buffett, one of the most, maybe the most successful investor, um, certainly in recent time, and a lot of people in the investment world, you know, try to figure out how does he do it. You know, he's got seems to have the golden touch. How can I make investments like uh, Buffett and do the things that he does and try to model their whole careers after him? In the 2017 article on a Spokane, Washington um, newspaper website, the Spokesman Spokesman Review, uh, the art the author of that article said. Mummy, how Mummy is recognized by most as the founder of the air raid offense. So this is a, just a type of offense. Those of you familiar with football would recognize a type of offense that, that relies heavily on the pass as opposed to the old, older way of football of being a lot of uh, running the football. It says he's recognized by most as the founder of the air raid offense, but his disciples are the ones responsible for growing the brand. So guys like Mike Leach, who coaches Mississippi State now and was at Washington State for a long time, and uh, Cliff Kling Kingsbury, who coaches the Arizona Cardinals now and was at Texas Tech, I think, before that. But they've got, he's got this coaching tree they would call about. These guys who have seen what he did, he started something, and now these guys who coached with him, under him, watched what he did, learned how he did it, and now they've gone out and are trying to do the same thing in their – coaching their teams. And then Socrates, anybody want to take a guess at his most famous disciple? Anybody know that? Anybody, any Plato. philosophy? Plato. Plato, yes, exactly. Plato, uh, people, I guess people, historians and people in the world of philosophy would say that Plato was a disciple of Socrates. He sat at his feet and learned from him, learned his uh, way of looking at the world, and then took it on in his own life. So, 
discipling, disciples are something that we see, really, that you can find in all walks of life, you know, from the business world to academia to philosophy to whatever, anywhere where you have somebody who's doing something and other people come along underneath them and learn from them and then try to take that and, and mimic and imitate that in their own life, you have discipling. But obviously in this class, we want to look uh, specifically at discipling in the Christian context, what it means to be a disciple uh, of Jesus and what it means to make disciples of Jesus. And so over the next six weeks, that's what we're going to be focusing on. And today we're just going to start really kind of what it seems like, feels like the, the logical place to start with just defining our terms. What does it mean to be a disciple? What is a disciple? And what is it what is discipling? These two terms that we'll um, use excuse me, mostly throughout the next six weeks. Okay, so I've got to make a decision now. The way that my eyes are these days, I can either leave my glasses on and I can see all of you pretty well, or I can take them off and then I can read my notes um, and, and my Bible. And so I think I'm going to have to take them off so I can lead and just trust that you're still out there and at the end if I put my glasses on and you're not out there anymore then I'll know I need to prepare better next week so um, here we go all right so so what is a disciple that's that we'll start there it seems the most basic logical place to start Uh, Merriam-Webster says that a disciple is someone who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another so pretty simple definition, and you, and you can see in that sense, that's where people would talk about a disciple of Warren Buffett or a disciple of a football coach, how somebody could be a disciple outside of the 12 apostles. So, so probably mostly if you were to go ask somebody about a disciple, I would say more times than not, your first response would be uh, the, 12 disciples, the 12 apostles of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus. That's what, that's what a disciple is. But really just in the general sense, it's just someone who – sees what somebody else is doing, learns from them, and then goes and wants to spread that themselves, thinks it's worthwhile enough to build their life around and to try to convince others of it also. Um, One of the, I think, most simplest and best places to look in the Bible when we talk about what is a disciple is just Jesus calling those first disciples, calling his first disciples. And so you have your Bible, let's look at, and it may be, I can't remember if I put it on that sheet or not. Um, We're going to look at Mark 1, uh, four verses, Mark 1, 16 through 20, and you'll be familiar with this uh, passage probably is is towards the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, Um, and Mark records here. In verses 16 through 20 says uh, that passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And in verse 17 says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, 
And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So again, a, a passage that we are, uh, that we recognize, that we're familiar with. Jesus' first interaction with these fishermen, they're just out doing what they, what they do, what they, you know, catching fish, working on their nets. And here comes this teacher, this rabbi, um, and, and calls them to follow him. And actually, when we look in Luke's account of this, we'll see that there was a little bit more of an interaction between Jesus and the fishermen before he said, follow me, that probably played into their decision to accept that call. But from this, this, this passage, and particularly in verse 17, um, I'll just point out, draw out maybe three kind of broad, basic characteristics that mark um, certainly these disciples, and I think disciples in general of Jesus since then. And the first one is that disciples, uh, quite simply, are followers of Jesus, right? This, this is the first thing that he says to them, is follow me. And of course, the fishermen did just that. They responded They responded to Jesus' initiating call. So we see that, um, I would say that discipleship begins with Jesus initiating the relationship. Discipleship begins with, with God or Jesus's uh, initiating call to us, to us, follow me. And he comes, and, he, and we've experienced that same call in, in our life, those of us who are followers of Christ. That there was a time in our life when we sensed Jesus' call to salvation, right? Jesus' call to, to repentance, to repent and believe the gospel, and believe that he is who he says he is, that he is the Savior, that we need a Savior, um, that we are dead in our sins, and to turn from that and to give our life to him and to follow him. And discipleship begins with how we respond to that call, with, with submitting, with surrendering to that call. And in that, there's, you know, with these guys, like I said, in Luke 5, uh, verses 1 through 11, Luke gives a, a full description of this, and we see that Jesus actually, it's when they had been out, fishing and they weren't catching anything and Jesus said hey put out put your nets on the on the other side and try again okay and then they catch all these fish and and just even in seeing that see Peter's response Lord get away from me right like I'm a, I'm a sinful man you see that there was something they 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 were willing to follow Jesus to accept his call because there was they recognized something in him right now at this point they may not have recognized this is the savior of the world. I'm a sinner. He's going to die for my sins. But they recognized something in him that they thought, this is somebody that I'm willing to put my hope in. I'm willing to put my trust in to give my life to and follow him. And it's the same for us. And so discipling or disciples or followers of Jesus and, and following him begins with responding to his invitation, to his initiating call in our lives. Uh, I think it's a second part of this following of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and we see this borne out more throughout as we read the rest of the gospel and see what these guys did, is that followers, and this just kind of makes sense, right, that followers spend time with Jesus, right? They, they spend time with him, they watch him, they listen to him. Why? Because they want to know him. They, they want to learn from him. They want to see who he is and what he's doing. And that's what the disciples, uh, these first disciples, the fishermen and the others that Jesus called, 
they lived with him, they walked with him, they, they talked with him, they listened to him and watched him. And I think this is a, marks followers of Jesus today, is that those who, who are, would be followers of Jesus, right, we, we want to spend time with him. We do that through his word, through reading the Bible so that we can see what he was like, so that we can see what he did, so that we can listen and hear the words that he spoke, so that we read the rest of scripture so that we can hear God's word through it, because we want to know him. We want to know who he is and what he's like and what he wants from us and what we can do to, to be closer followers of him. So followers spend time with him, watch him, listen to him, because they want to know him. And then following inevitably just by its definition I think also uh, refers to a position a position right that there's a follower and there's a leader and followers understand that I'm not the leader <laughs> that I'm the follower that Jesus is the leader and what does that mean well that I think that means that he's the one who sets the course for their life right he's the one who says this is the direction that we're going we're gonna go here and not go there we're gonna do this and not do that and followers are willing and are those who submit to the leader's authority and position out front and surrender their rights to lead their own life and say, I'm going to go where Jesus says I'm going to go, and I'm going to do what Jesus says I'm going to do, not looking to say, well, Jesus, I want you to do this for me, but what do you want me to do? And so first off, disciples are followers of Jesus. Second thing I see just in, in Jesus' call to these first guys is that Disciples are being changed by Jesus. And so Jesus calls him and says, follow me. But then he says, what? I will make you become. So we see that he called them right where they're at. They're out there. They're, they're fishermen. They're fishing. He calls them right where they're at. But, but he intended not for them to just keep on being the same fishermen that they were. But that he was going to transform them. And this is, I think, why we talk about um, salvation, coming to know Christ, becoming a disciple as conversion, right? Because Jesus is changing us from one thing to something else. I mean, that's what the word convert, conversion means, is to be changed, right? Like when you put water in the freezer, it changes from liquid to a solid. And the same thing is true from, for us, that Jesus he loves us as liquid, but he wants to make us solid, right, or something like that. He, he, he calls us where we're at. He loves us and, and calls us to disciple right there on the seashore, but that doesn't mean that's where he wants to leave us. And so we see uh, evidence of this throughout the, the Scripture, throughout the New Testament. We call this process, this change, sanctification, um, growing in holiness, becoming like Jesus. And I think Peter, who's... One of these first, you know, this first one right here, fisherman, is the perfect example of this. I love the example of Peter, how at the end of the Gospels, right, Jesus is arrested and he's on trial, and you have this, this dramatic episode of Peter who's been with Christ, who's made these bold declarations, I'll die for you, but then he does what? He just cowers away and and. Before Jesus is crucified, we see him deny even knowing Christ. I don't, I don't even know this guy because he's so scared. And then what happens after the resurrection? Just literally just a few chapters later in Acts, I think it's Acts 2, 
You have this same guy who was cowering, didn't want anybody to even know he was with Jesus, and, and he's been transformed into this bold preacher who's out standing in the middle of the streets proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah and that you better repent right, and turn to Christ for salvation. And you see this radical transformation that takes place in this guy's life. Um, and even, I think, later in Acts, right, the, the Pharisees, and they just describe this change that they see in these guys. Like, these are not learned men. These aren't educated men. How do we account for this? I don't know. They were with Jesus. Right? Um, and so being with Jesus changes us. It's a change, obviously, that, it, that I think any of us would recognize is not immediate, but it is inevitable. Right? 2 Corinthians 5 17, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. That, that's the fact. That's the reality of the situation. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are different. First um, John, and the, the Apostle John would bluntly tell us in First John 2, 4, if anyone says that I know him but doesn't keep his commandments, in other words, is not being changed from somebody who ran from his commandments, rejected his commandments, but now they're they don't keep his commandments they're a liar in other words they're not a disciple if you're not keeping if you're not being changed to to follow him then you're not a disciple and so um living i'll say and again i think jesus used kind of this uh example in the gospels that living plants produce fruit right and and so this is a mark of a disciple is being changed producing fruit in our life and this this change um includes just all the things, the, the fruit that we see in the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. It includes things like growing in holiness, a growing uh, love for others, for other believers, a growing love for being together with the church, a growing love for, for reading God's Word, for praying, for things that draw us closer to Him, and perseverance. change that lasts, that, that, that goes on. It may not be perfect all the time. There will be times when it's more evident than others, but it's a change that the things of the world, that the cares of the world just can't kill. Like, I don't know. We've got whoever lived in our house before us planted all these crepe myrtles in, around our house, and I'm just going to tell you, they won't die. You can't I've cut them down, and they just like you cut them down to the, to the stump, and they just sprout like a thousand new branches. I spray Roundup on them. They just, you can't kill them. I think that's perseverance. This is, right, this is our faith. The mark of a, of a disciple, a genuine disciple, is that whatever Satan throws at us, whatever the world throws at us, like it might knock us down for a minute, but it can't kill that faith. Like it, it perseveres. It keeps going. It lasts to the end. Um, and so, so disciples are followers following Jesus. They, they are being changed by Jesus. And then... Uh, Lastly, I see here, disciples are carrying on Jesus' mission. And so it says, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. So he had a, a, a specific plan for them, a specific mission for them. And it was his mission, right? In Luke 19.10, Jesus, speaking of himself, says, this is, this is why I've come. The Son of Man has come into the world for what? To seek and to save the lost. Um, and so we see that Jesus' mission really is reconciling sinners to God. He's reconciling that broken relationship that our sin 
has caused. And he involved his disciples uh, in this mission, even during his time with them. Right in Luke chapter 9, verse 2, read that uh, talks about Jesus sending them out. It says he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And interestingly enough, I think this is exactly the thing that the, the, the uh, Gospels say that Jesus was doing himself. So in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, it says that, uh, speaking of Jesus, says he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, doing what? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. And so I think there's this interesting pattern that we see in Jesus, this kind of methodology or this process that he used where it was like, I'm going to be the one doing, and you watch, right? I, I'm proclaiming the kingdom, I'm healing, and you watch. And then now I'm going to send you, and I'll kind of watch. You come report back to me. And then we see before he ascends to heaven, what he, he kind of really turns over the mission to his disciples and says, go, therefore, make disciples of every nation. So it's kind of this, I'll do it, you watch me, then you do it, and let me watch you. And probably give feedback and some correction and training, and then now you go and do it. Um, but but there's this carrying on of Jesus's mission. I'm going to make you become fishers of men. And so disciples, based on this text in Mark, disciples are characterized by helping others come to know and to follow Jesus. Um, and so just thinking about those kind of that simple definition of disciples or followers of Jesus, being changed by Jesus, um, carrying on Jesus' mission, uh, is there any part of that definition that you think that's maybe most helpful to you in thinking about a disciple? Or is there, are there any other characteristics, you know, critical characteristics that you think that, that should be added to that definition? I mean, this is certainly, this is just kind of mine and others attempts to draw out from this text, so it's, it's not, this definition is not necessarily infallible, for sure, so any, any other characteristics you think of that you should think about marking a disciple? I'm just going to let it be awkward. Yeah, so the question, just I'm going to repeat it just because I don't know if this will pick up from the back row, but the question is, is leaving something behind, you think, was that a, a critical characteristic or a characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus? Uh, we see that the disciples, the first disciples he called, um, left, you know, left their nets, immediately followed him, um, and then when he sent them out even to proclaim the kingdom and heal, and also in some of those 
those passages talks about, you know, don't take anything with you for the road. They kind of had to leave their, their comfort and just depend on what God was going to provide for them. Um, I would say yes. I think that in the very definition of being a disciple and, and, being, and that change, um, that there is a, yeah, that we have to give up, that to follow Jesus and recognize him as your leader is certainly giving up your rights to be your own leader. At the very minimum, is giving up your rights to yourself and saying, I surrender Jesus, now you're my leader, I'm your follower, I'm going to go where you say, I'm going to do what you say to do. Um, I think it certainly can be even as specific as kind of what you're getting at is breaking with, um, I think that Jesus does, for, for sure calls people to vocational ministry where you have to give up a career and go do a different career. You know, he calls people to specifically serve in missions or to serve him in other areas where you do have to break from maybe relationships that you have and go somewhere else to do that. Um, I don't, I'll say this in my own life, just speaking for myself, I don't be, I believe that Jesus can call us to be disciples um, in your career, right? You can be a, you can be a fully devoted disciple as a um, banker or, or as a plumber or as a title person, right? Um, that, and, that, and I'll just say that's something that I struggled with early on in my own understanding of discipleship, of seeing, well, Jesus told Abraham, leave your country and go to this new land, right? He tells the disciples, drop everything, come follow me. This must mean what it means to be a disciple is that I have to leave everything I have and go become a pastor, become a missionary, right? That's what it means to be a disciple. I've Personally, I feel like God has shown me you're not necessarily fit to be like pastoring is not not great for you but you can be a I still call you to break from from ruling yourself and surrender to me and live devoted to me and live your life for me in wherever you're at right as if you're going to be a title person be sold out for Jesus title person in your office um, so yes I think that there's a definite like we have to be willing like and I think that that we, and again, I'm saying a lot of I think. We, the scripture calls us to that following Jesus is a willingness to break with whatever he says. I think that's that him being the leader and us being the follower is he may call you to give up your family, you know, your relationships here, your career, whatever. He may not, but whatever he, whichever direction he says to go, I think that's the, the break is at the minimum a willingness to recognize he's the authority and we're the follower. Is there not more uh, an idea that goes beyond an intellectual understanding? There is an affection for Jesus, a love for him that yeah. that will compel me to follow him because of who he is. There's yeah. no one like him. Yeah. And then we could be saying something very similar when you talk about being changed. Just the idea, the common idea I think in those is that we forsake other loyalties and allegiances. Yeah. Whether we're working in a title company yeah. or on the field or yeah. the run of life, we're consciously in our hearts forsaking other loyalties and allegiances to follow. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Um, yeah, a, a 
conscious forsaking other loyalties to follow Jesus? I think yes, for sure. And uh, yes, also, um, yeah, it's not cold and academic time, right? There, there is based in truth, and there is truth and an understanding of truth, and, and knowledge plays a part. But um, the, like I said, I think the, even these first fishermen, there was something that they recognized about what they saw about Jesus that stirred something inside when they, when they saw, you know, the, uh, I think one, probably when they saw the, the miracle that Jesus performed with the fish that Luke records here in the same incident, and, and maybe just the, that Jesus would call me, that here's this, this teacher, this prophet, and he would call me that, you know, I, Scripture doesn't record that, but I could certainly see that in them. Like, I, we're just ordinary fishermen, and this, this rabbi wants us to be his disciple. Yeah, and I think certainly for us as sinners, when we recognize, come face-to-face with Jesus the Savior, I think surely all of us could say that stirred, some, <laughs> certainly stirred affection in us. That I, I know, I, now I, the Spirit's shown a light on me, and I recognize who I am, and the Savior wants me, right? And, and he is who he is, and I am who I am, and yet he wants a relationship with me that stirs an affection within us to, that then stirs up that wanting to listen to what he says and see who he is and spend time with him. Why? Because we recognize who we are, who he is, and that he's called us to, to be with him, that there is absolutely, I would say, an affection in that. Well, good. So... So understanding what a disciple is, then let's get really to the nuts and bolts of this class. What is discipling? So when I hear that word discipling, discipleship, and, and I see some people in this class who are at least as old as me, uh, I won't, maybe older, some, no, there's definitely some who are older, but some who are younger, but does anybody, I don't know what your church history context is, does anybody else remember uh, maybe the, the old wooden signs with the black slider like, Okay, we had 30. Anybody ever been in a little church where they had that? We had, you know, 65 in worship service this morning, and we had 10 who were in Sunday school. And then in churches I were in, there was another one at the bottom that said, attendance for discipleship training. (laughs) And discipleship training in some of the churches I was in was something that took place on Sunday nights before the Sunday night worship service, right? And so um, back in the 80s, Discipleship training as a kid meant royal ambassadors for me in a Southern Baptist church, RAs and GAs and missions kids, and I don't know what they had for teenagers because I was a kid then. But, um, but then they had these classes that were intended to like focus on an area of discipleship, and it was a structured, formal class setting in the church. Um, and so that kind of comes to my mind when I think of discipling, discipleship. But what else comes to your when you hear the word discipling or discipleship? What comes to your mind? Catechisms that you do with your kids in the morning, okay? Two things that takes time. Okay. And the source of that, the curriculum is God's word. Okay, time, and it takes it in time, and there is a curriculum that is God's word. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think that... Some people might have a view or a thought of discipling or discipleship that is very 
that it has to be very, you know, this is a very structured, formal class setting where you have a, a teacher, a discipler, and disciplees who are under me, and these, I'm the discipler, these are my disciples that I've gathered, and we meet, and I'm going to walk them through this curriculum. And I think, at least for me, that can be a little intimidating to think about and a little like, I'm not cut out for that. Somebody else is cut out for that. And so I want to give you, and they may, I can't remember, they may be on your sheet here, but two definitions, and both of these come from Capitol Hill. Um, but one, I've been, uh, started reading through the little book that's on our book stall, Discipling by Mark Dever, and I love his, um, and I'll just tell you, I, most for in general, and I don't know Mark Dever personally at all, but in general, my perception of him is academic and like heady, but I love so I, when I was reading, I was kind of surprised and loved this definition because it's so simple. It's so simple and so not academic and cold and anything like that. But it says, he defines discipleship in that book as simply this, helping others follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in their lives. I love that. Um, and in the Capitol Hill seminar on discipling, which a lot of the, this material has all come based from that, just so we don't plagiarize it. It's all variation of their material that we're using. But they, they say discipling is intentionally encouraging other Christians through deliberate loving relationships and training in God's Word. So we'll kind of use that as a paradigm, as a framework, and just break that down. So first of all, I say this biblical discipling is intentional and deliberate. Um, we can see this, I think, in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 10, verse 24, where the author there says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And so within that verse, we can see that, which I think is just really saying, let us disciple one another, right? Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love, toward love and good deeds. Um, we see that... that it's intentional and deliberate, but in other words, it, it takes some planning, right? According to this verse, he says, let us consider how. And so to consider is to think about something, right? To put some thought into, maybe some strategy, some planning into how this is going to take place, to put a deliberate plan together for it. And then also see that it takes not just some planning, but some action. So how, let's consider how we may spur one another on, um, to spur someone on is really to to actively uh, encourage them towards something, right? I mean, it's right there in the Word. If you're familiar, you know, the rodeo's coming up here in Springdale at the end of the month. Uh, my son is all into cowboys and rodeos and has a pair of spurs, but if you're familiar with spurs, right, what is a, a spur? Is that metal thing on the back of your boot that's used what? To kind of give a little kick into the side of the horse to encourage him to move forward, right? So it's that, that active kind of prodding to go somewhere. And I think this is what the, the text is telling us. Let us consider, let us think about, and plan for how we can then actively prod one another, encourage, take action to prod people to one another towards a direction. And then it's also got a purpose. That direction is to love and good works, to love and good deeds. In other words, it's, how can we, let's, let's think about, consider, plan for, be intentional about how we can take action towards 
helping each other follow Jesus. I say helping each other grow in holiness, grow in sanctification, move further along in our walk with Christ. So discipling is purposefully then investing in helping others follow Christ. And this is where I would say intentionality. Um, That's why I like the two definitions we had at the beginning. Intentionality can mean, can be structure, but it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to, being intentional doesn't have to mean formal structure. It just implies purpose and intentionality. um, So it can be as structured as, like, we're going to get together every week and we're going to read through this book of the Bible. We may have even a Bible study with materials, with questions we're going to answer and work through. It can be as intentional, as, as structured as that. But intentionality can also be, I think, when we go, you know, who can I invite after church to go to eat with me? And let's talk, and, and as we're eating, yeah, we'll talk about other things, but how can I work in or, or think about, hey, what did you take away from the sermon this morning. Um, this is what I'm reading in, in the Word this week, or this is something that I've seen God do in my life uh, this week. What's something that you're, you know, how's God working in your life? I think it can be as unstructured as that, even in that, in, in, in this book that, that I've been reading by Tever, it has a little example in there that Aaron Wheeler actually had talked about. Um, her having some girls from the church come over to her house. And I think, like, in that moment, like, it was just them being there with her and seeing how she responded to her kids and, like, kind of the chaos and the craziness of life, but seeing a Christian do that. These were, young, you know, newer believers, but that intentionality of having them in her life so that they can see this is how a Christian just lives, like, wasn't a formal Bible study, it's just being together and seeing how we do life together. So I think the, the key here is just that we aren't passive, but engaged, deliberate, and purposeful, right? There's the old saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like there's there's something to, I think as, as Christians, as disciples, if we're going to be engaged in Jesus' call to make disciples, to his command to us to make disciples, that there is some we have to intentionally say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to look for ways to be involved in this. The second thing from that definition we see is biblical discipling is uh, relational. And this is really, I think, starts with rooted in the fact that God is relational. Right? And so even, even before the creation of the world just in our understanding of who God is, we understand that God is relational within the Godhead, that, that we understand that God is Trinity. Now, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who, who are in perfect relationship with one another for all eternity. But then outside of the Trinity, we see in Scripture as God creates the world that God is relational and moving, intentionally moving towards relationships with his people. And so you see this from the very beginning with with Adam, right? And I think even in the creation story, I think it's always stood out to me how God speaks everything into existence, but then he gets down and puts his hands in the clay and puts his face right up to breathe into the nostrils of Adam. There's this kind of personal touch with man. And then you see from there God walking in the garden, it says, with 
Adam, walking in and having this relationship with Adam. From there you go on and you see God condescending down to, to be with his people in the Exodus, right? In the synagogue, in the, in the synagogue, in the, in, in the synagogue with them. Um, his presence there with them. Um, or synagogue, tabernacle. That's the word. Tabernacle, not synagogue. Yeah. Um, we see it in the Gospels, of course, obviously, and most explicitly with Jesus, with the incarnation and, and God taking on flesh to come and be with us and so we can see who he is and what he's like. Um, and there are, there are other uh, examples in, throughout Scripture of God entering into initiating relationships with his people um, and not just being distant and far off from them. But God has also made us to be relational, right? And so see in Genesis 2.18, where he's, Adam's there and he's got all the animals. And God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Like, God, I'm here, the animals are here, Adam's here, but he needs another one like him to, to relate to. Um, Ecclesiastes 4 is probably the most, I think, the most famous passage that addresses this. In uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, we read, Two are better than one because they have a great reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And it goes on there and excuse me, just talks about the benefit of being in a relationship, not being by yourself. Um, and because God has made us to be relational, I think this is why we see so much talk of relationships in the New Testament. In, he's talking about his new people and the church, right? And so we understand really that, that it's really impossible to fully obey God, to obey the scriptures outside of relationships with one another because the scriptures command us, have all these commands in the New Testament that are deal with our relationships with people. And so we're told um, in James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. Colossians 3.16, teach and admonish one another. And so there is this expectation that we are going to, that disciples will be involved in relationships with one another. Right? And so um, we understand that it is... God has ordained the church, and the corporate gathering is, is important and significant, and we need that in our life, those times where we, like we're kind of what we're doing right here in this class, and certainly we'll go over and do in the sanctuary here shortly, where we are all together in, in a room, sitting under the teaching, preaching of the word, singing together corporately, but I would say that we equally need relationships, personal, life-on-life, one-on-one relationships with other Christians uh, centered around the Word, talking through things. God has made us to be that way. Um, I think that Jesus, we see in his own mission, in his own uh, ministry, uh, that this is was important to him, right? And so you can see that there are instances where he is certainly preaching to the crowds and healing the People bring, you know, all the crowds bring their sick to him, and he's healing the crowds and preaching to the crowds. And yet, when it came to building his church, he did what? He called 12 guys 
together and poured himself in personally to spending time with them, talking to them, eating meals with them, walking down the streets with them, being with those guys that, that really the, the Great Commission was built around him pouring himself personally into these 12 guys. Yeah. And, yes, sir. Based on what you're saying, it, I guess it shouldn't surprise me then that this is really hard. Meaning, I don't naturally move toward relationships with the purpose of doing them spiritually, spiritual good to help them follow Jesus. Yeah. Usually it's either, okay, what's in this for me? I'm going to approach relationships either to use, or if not, I'm going to avoid. Yeah. And so some of what you're describing is, okay, in the flesh, there's just going to be a thousand sure and for whatever reason it seems to be getting more and more so that way both in, in the outside the church and just in in culture at large it seems there's this move away from relationships and move towards isolation and you know it's it's not the culture that our grandparents lived in where you knew all of your neighbors sit out on the front porch and like people come drive pull into their driveway open up the garage door drive into it shut it and like don't want to see the thing and unfortunately i think we see that in the church and i don't know if people don't understand the import have just not experienced it to understand the importance and the good that god will do in their life through relationships but i think um, there are a lot of people who miss god's best for them miss really this growth that could take place because of coming in kind of that kind of coming in to the big gathering where you can kind of just hide out and then leaving without ever immersing themselves in the life of the people in the church and building relationships and building friendships with people and I would just encourage you like we see scripture calls us to that like calls us to the importance of that that God will use that in our lives with relationships with other people and so with that I would just call us to one look for that ourselves but two look to draw other people in look to be that bridge builder. If you see somebody on the outside who's not as connected, how can I help them get connected, at least with me, right? So that's, that's important. The third aspect of this that I see in there and kind of gets even to what you're talking about, John, I think of the, the hardness of this is that these are loving relationships. Biblical, biblical discipling is loving. So interestingly enough, Jesus said that the world will know we're his disciples not by our piety <laughs> or even by our car being in the parking lot here every Sunday morning seeing us come, although those are all good things and we are called to live pious lives and, and we should be here, but he says the world's going to know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Um, and so discipleship, again, or discipling isn't something that's cold and academic, but something that the Bible calls to that's humble and compassionate and not self-serving, but others serving. And this is at the very center of how God has called us to love one another within his churches, I think, through these discipling relationships. And so love calls us to sacrifice for the spiritual good of others, just as Christ poured out his life for our eternal good. Obviously, we're not called to be their savior to die for them for their sins like jesus did but i think we are called to sacrifice our comfort sometimes for for certainly our brothers and sisters um, 
1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. Philippians 2.4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, and I'll just say, like, personally, this is, to John's point, and maybe, not, maybe for all of us, certainly for me, this is the hardest part of all of this because people don't always do what they should do, <laughs> right? People aren't always living how they ought to live. People aren't always following Jesus the way that they should live. People's lives are often, our lives, not other people's, but our lives are often messy and hard and full of, can be full of really hard things, right, that people are going through and dealing with. And my temptation, certainly, my, my default is that to, to like, I'm, that's really not, you know, like, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> is not, like, my, my instinct, my default is not to turn towards that and to want to put, get in, like, let me get right in there with you with that mess. Um, loving relationships, I think that loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, loving our kids at home, but loving our friends means sometimes having to say things that they don't want to hear or that are going to be hard for them to hear, that are going to be hard for us to say, that we don't want to say. Certainly a lot of times things that I don't want to say. Right, because it is hard, and you, and we don't want to come across as prideful or like I'm telling you this is what you need to do, um, and I think that's where our next part will get, next point will get become really important. But but it's hard, and but that's that's love, right? Like I think that's what differentiates real biblical Christian. One of the things that differentiates real biblical Christian love from what the world way the world defines love is biblical. Christ-like love is that love that's willing to have a hard conversation, willing to say, to not just affirm everything that you want to do, but say, man, this is, I'm, I'm concerned about this. this. You're heading somewhere that I don't think you want to go. Certainly Jesus doesn't want you to go. Um, and that can be difficult, but love calls us to that, um, to, to do that. Um, fourth thing, last thing, let's see here and to get to a couple points I already made is biblical discipling involves training in God's word and I would just caution don't be scared off by the word training <laughs> uh, I don't think that like when we hear that I think okay I've got to be a I've got to be a pastor I've got to be a seminary professor to train someone in God I've got to be the expert and I wouldn't I, I would caution against that you don't have to be the expert the coach but I think in its simplest form Discipling is pointing others to God's word. <laughs> um, so our friends don't need our opinions. They don't need our wisdom. Uh, but they do need God's word. And, and God's word is true. And so I think that's where it gets to when, those, when you have those hard conversations we can keep in mind, if God's word says it, it's true. And that's not me coming and saying, I know better than you. That's just, this is what the Bible says, man. And you say that you're a follower of Jesus, and you say that you're going to do this. So this is what it says. This is what we're called to do. Um, 
2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so, so God's word has answered for it, right? It is the light to our path, that lamp to our feet, light to our path. It is how can a young man keep his way pure by walking according to your word, right? And so, so I need the word, more of the word in my life. You need more of the word in your life. Um, but here's the thing. I'm not that disciplined. I think that's where these relationships, like where it really rubber meets the road for me is I know that I need this, all of these in my life. I need to be growing closer to Christ. I need more time in the word to do that. I need to be uh, challenging myself in ways to love my wife better, to parent my kids better, to serve better at church, to be uh, more on display with the gospel at work. And my default is not to do those things, to be passive in those. So these relationships, this is what we're doing, is just kind of walking together, helping each other. Like, hey, we all need this, so let's help each other do this, right? Um, if you're familiar with electricity, with wires, wiring it all, you understand that a wire is just dead by itself. It has nothing to, it can't do anything, just plug a, one end of a wire up to a tool and the other end of nothing, and nothing's going to happen because the wire has no power in and of itself, but a wire exists to be a transmitter of power from the power source to that tool or that light bulb or whatever it is on the other end of it. I think this is a picture of what discipling calls us to be, right? We, we understand we don't have anything really to offer people on our own. We don't have any power, but we know the one who does. As long as if we are staying rooted in Christ, if we're rooting our life in Christ, then we can be that conduit, that wire that transmits his love, his power, um, his grace to our friends as long as we're connected on, on both ends. And so just in closing, um, yeah, discipling is, not a is, is a process of becoming like Christ. It's not a program, right? So you don't have to have curriculum other than the Bible. <laughs> um, at its core, it is Essentially, whatever we do to intentionally help other Christians to grow in holiness. And the key is just that it takes place in intentional, loving relationships that are rooted in Scripture. So honestly, for myself, I, maybe this would be encouraging to, to some. Other than my own kids, and I guess this class right now, but outside of my own kids... I don't have, I would say right now, I don't have any relationships, discipling relationships that I would think of like I'm the discipler, that's the disciplee. Like I'm, you know, come let me disciple you other than my kids. But I have several relationships, many friendships here in, in, within the church that are different from relationships I have in the, word, in the world because they are centered on God's word. That, that the word comes up in conversation, that I can look at them and I know that my friends are, that I hang out with are, are seeking to follow Christ in their homes, in their marriages, in church, in their workplaces. And that encourages me. And, we, and they talk about it and they're, they're willing to talk, well, hey, what are you reading in the word this week? And I have a couple of relationships, a couple of friendships where we do get together for lunch once a week to talk about what we're reading in the scripture. 
and it's really is that's as structured as it is. And it's not a, like I'm discipling, you're I'm the disciple or you're the disciple. It's we're we're discipling each other. We're just disciples trying to help each other follow Jesus, right? And so I would encourage you. That's discipling. You any of us can do that. Can be in relationships with other Christians in this church where we're deciding, hey, I want to just follow Jesus. I think you want to follow Jesus. Let's help each other follow Jesus. How can we do that by pointing each other to Jesus, pointing each other to his word and growing together? So um, hopefully that, that sounds good to you. Hopefully you're already involved in some of those. If not, I would encourage you, let me just encourage you to think about what's, what's one objective action item that you can do? What's one step you can take this week that would move towards a, that type of just doing intention, intentionally doing uh, good, spiritual good in someone's life to help them follow Jesus? And I encourage you to think about that and do it, you know, um, this week. So, uh, 10.06, we probably got about three or four minutes. Any any. Final thoughts, any questions, any observations? Um, certainly I'm, I'm standing here, but that doesn't make what I say any more important than what, what I think any more important than yours. So, um. All right. Okay. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll be out of here. Thanks for being here. God, thank you again for this time that you've given to us to think about uh, – how you have called us to be disciples. Lord, just the grace that you have shown that you would call us who are sinful, Lord, who, who are imperfect, who are far from perfect, who are far from good, Lord, that you would call us to be your disciples, Lord, that you would save us, that you would uh, change us, Lord, and then that not only would you save us, but, Lord, that you would include us in your kingdom uh, proclamation and in this uh, task of helping others come to know you. I pray that you would convict us where we are um, not as intentional as we as you would have us to be, Lord, where maybe we've been apathetic, um, Lord, uh, and just show us the opportunity, show us the relationships that we already have in our life and show us how we can leverage those to um, help those people follow Jesus. Lord, put people in our life who will help us follow you, who will lovingly, um, compassionately correct us when we're getting off track. Lord, thank you for the people that you have already put in our life and that you are using to do that. Uh, Lord, we pray now as we go to uh, the corporate worship service to hear your word preached and to sing together lord we pray that you would uh, turn our eyes to jesus lord that you would um, or speak through your word use coal to deliver your word to us and uh, lord just that you would be glorified and that we would grow to be more like jesus from being here this morning pray in his name amen